Penn State football wins 38-17 over Villanova here uh, at Beaver Stadium. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Welcome to BWI Live, the post-game show from Blue White Illustrated. So, uh, Tom Hannafin on assignment today. He will be back next week, so I'm riding solo today. Over the next 40 minutes, maybe 30, 40 minutes, I'll be taking your questions, seeing what you want to talk about with Penn State football. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about the running game, uh, but we'll start with the positives, we'll start with some good things for Penn State football in their 38-17 win. And there's no better place to start than Sean Clifford, 19 of 26, 401 yards and four touchdowns today. The one interception coming off a bobble from Keandre Lambert-Smith. Uh, throughout this game, there were some rough moments uh, where at the exchange of the half, at the end of the half, after he hit a bunch of deep bombs to to go up uh, by big scores, big plays early, Sean Clifford got a little bit greedy at halftime. And this is a this is one of those things we talked about on the BWI Daily Edition earlier this week with Nate Bauer, the fact that he is an aggressive quarterback that wants to go for the big play. He wants to get those big-time touchdowns in the passing game. So right before the half, when there were some of those miscommunications along the offensive line, some issues pass blocking, part of it also was that he was holding on the ball for four and a half seconds. And was not throwing those checkdowns. In the second half, he started throwing those checkdowns. The offense started moving again. And Penn State's uh, passing game exploded once again for some big-time plays. So it was a very good game for Sean Clifford. And I do want to emphasize the fact that he was able to adjust to some things that he maybe was not doing properly during the game. And came back and made those corrections. But once again, just like the win over Auburn, we saw a poised confident quarterback that for the most part made good decisions uh, in the pocket especially his pocket presence was very good uh, and again some moments where he held on to the ball too long sometimes where he may have um, ran himself into a sack because of the delay holding on to the ball not necessarily that he ran into pressure but that just he held on to the ball other than that it was a phenomenal day of avoiding pressure jumping uh, and keeping his eyes downfield several times he was able to roll out to his right and he was able to find a guy late and one of them led to a big time Keandre Lambert Smith touchdown so want to start there because I know we're getting into uh, the running game and I've already had some questions come up in the chat about that, so I won't keep you waiting any longer. The problem with the Penn State rushing attack, 2.4 yards per carry today. Now, part of that is the sack totals and all of those things that come into play in college that they don't necessarily do in, uh, you know, in the NFL with the rushing stats. But Ryan asks the question I think everyone wants to know. Even though put up 38 points, is the offensive line and running back inability to get really anything going on the ground a major concern going forward? Yes, it is. It is a concern going forward. Major concern? I don't think so because this is the way this team has been built. So this is what they are. They want to be a big play team. And the running game specifically is a complement to the passing attack. That's just... That's how it's going to be. Now, Mike Yersich and and uh, Phil Troutwine and Jay Wan Sider, they all want the running game to work. That's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, but you look at the decisions made about the bodies that have been put up front, and you you look at the skill sets and the skill abilities of those players, 
Um, pass blocking is and doing their assignment is the first priority. They're not looking necessarily at trying to get guys blown off the line of scrimmage. Now, there are guys that have that ability along the offensive line. Rasheed Walker, even Mike Miranda's 310. Like, they don't have poor size, but they have, in the history so far that we've seen of them, they haven't been those big mauling blockers up front. So if you're expecting them to change that DNA, that's not going to happen. And this was a good, I don't want to overstate how good the Villanova front was because I do think the offensive line in particular wasn't necessarily the issue. There were times that players were beat. Um, that's for sure. Um, there were times that players were not getting to their assignment or that they were physically beat off the ball. That is that is true. But the tight ends today had a, a really bad uh, day of it when it comes to blocking. There were in the first half there were multiple plays that Brenton Strange, uh, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren specifically uh, just missed blocks. So in, in in zone blocking, there's what's called the backside block, the back block where you have you know the tight end when you see the tight end screaming across the back of the offensive line. The offensive line's going this way, the tight end is coming this way. In zone blocking, you don't block the guy in the backside of the line of scrimmage. But if you allow him to just have a free run at the running back, you don't always get him blocked. So that's the that's the split block is what it's called because it's splitting back across the, um, the, the blocking scheme. And you're supposed to kick out that defensive end for cutback po possibility. Tyler Warren threw an arm and missed at least twice. Uh, and that's just a long way of saying, like, I'm trying to describe to you the specific blocks that were missed. Again, in inside zone blocking, you had Brenton Strange that just whiffed on a third down that, that, that turned into a fourth down play. And the offensive line, I thought, for the most part, was able to move people off the ball. Now, there were, there were plays and there were times that Mike Miranda still struggled with center in his face, still struggles with that, um, that, that nose tackle lined up directly across from him. Uh, so is that, is this a problem? And we'll, we'll throw this back up here again from Ryan as always. Thanks for, uh, the super chat. Uh, is it a problem? Yes, it is a problem because it is something that, uh, if teams are going to take away, Penn State doesn't really have an, I, I don't know that they have a counter for it. You know, if, if a team has the ability to stop Penn State's rushing attack with just their front four. And Villanova was playing eight in the box at times, but there were times that they they were able to stop the run with just with just seven, you know, with the regular number and even box count. If teams like, you know, Iowa, if Indiana can do that, those teams have good secondaries and they will be able to put a better clamp down on the Penn State passing attack. So Penn State has to get enough on the ground to be a threat. Now, Mike Yersich is a creative play caller. We've seen him... Uh, make things happen with scheme and movement after the snap and the bubble screens and all that stuff. So there are avenues of success, but if you can't run the ball between the tackles at least a little bit, that would be kind of a problem, uh, especially, again, going up against better teams that have uh, the ability to, to play a little more evenly coverage versus run stuffing. Now, one player... I thought, did have a very good day on the ground, and that was John Lovett. 
And this is uh, going to throw into this, by the way. If you want to uh, donate to the channel, if you want to give a little bit to the YouTube channel for doing the post-game show, you can use the Super Chat function like Ryan did earlier to start the show off. Uh, all you have to do is throw in whatever you think we're worth, and then uh, I'll answer your question here live on air and give you the instant uh, reaction and analysis to, to your question about what I saw on tape from Penn State Football as they won 38-17 to over uh, Villanova. Noah Kane, is he injured? He had exactly one carry for two yards. Uh, it was early in the game, and I didn't see him, especially after halftime. I didn't see him. Um, now, some things I noticed during practice that he was available during practice when we saw him. Um, there are some things there that made me wonder, but he had exactly one carry in this game. So is he injured? I don't have a good answer to that because uh, if he was injured enough that he couldn't play, he wouldn't have gotten a carry. So did he get injured during the game? Was this something that he came into the game with? Or was it a disciplinary thing? I, genuinely, I don't have an answer about that. But James Franklin is absolutely going to be asked about that in his postgame press conferences. And uh, we'll have the answer for you of what he says on our YouTube channel. We have every James Franklin press conference that comes up after the game. So make sure you check back for that answer. And uh, if any of the guys get the answer for me and they text it to me, I will absolutely give you that information. Um, but it was noticeable that he was not out there. And this is this was kind of the question. One of the questions that we've gotten a lot so far on the show has been about Kevon Lee. Is he the better back? Is he able to take some snaps away from Noah Kane? Well, he had seven carries for 21 yards and averaged three yards carry. Uh, one of the issues, I think John Lovett has taken some snaps already away from Kevon Lee. Not I think, I mean, he, he led the team with 11 attempts. Penn State was coming to this game knowing they had better athletes in the secondary. That's why they completed, uh, I think an average of like 25 yards a pass in the second half. I don't remember what it is. Uh, let me check it right now. Uh, because it's gotta be absurd. The, the, the numbers per pass, Average yards of completion is 20 yards of completion. So part of it is they use this game to practice some things in the ground game. Part of it is they just wanted to win the game with explosive plays, and they, and they got that from the, uh, from the passing attack. Penn State is running a, a relatively new system for them at Penn State with the outside zone. One thing I noticed specifically in this game on those plays is um, Kevon Lee is not necessarily a mature running back yet when it comes to his decision-making with the ball in his hands. The outside zone, when you're trying to stress a defense laterally, it's, with the, it's the play where everyone's running to the sideline and you're trying to get either uh, 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 the, the original hole, which is usually between the C or the B gap, depending on the alignment, you know, the tackle or outside the guard, or you're looking for cutback lanes. But it's either or. And one thing Kevon Lee and one thing you absolutely, you've heard this before if you watch uh, football in the NFL, the one cut runner, right? That's that one cut. That's the decision he has to make. Are you going to try and hit the, uh, are you going to try and hit the gap or are you going to try and hit the cutback? And the Penn State offensive line did a decent job of washing down uh, towards the sideline, the defensive line. Now, Villanova has good football players. That linebacker, number 43, he was very good. And he was in the cutback lanes quite a bit 
in this game because you saw even John Lovett at times who's better at the system coming from Baylor coming from the Big 12 having run this throughout his entire career he's a much more decisive player in those situations Keevon Lee was doing a lot of dancing and one of the thing that he one of the things that you almost never do on an outside zone is try to go to the very front of the play outside of the tackle unless they've caved in the uh, support on the outside and the defender has made a huge mistake and several times he was trying to get to the edge of the defense. And that's where you get all those dances. You get those tackles for a loss. So there were yards there um, that the offensive line got in the running game. Either between the offensive line. And this is what James Franklin said both at half and after the game. Is that there was room to run. But there were things that were going on uh, that were causing some problems in the uh, in the running game. It wasn't just that the running backs were a problem or the offensive line was a problem. There are multiple um, there are multiple reasons why the off- why the, the running game struggled today. And I would put as much on the tight ends and and some of the running backs and some of their decisions with the ball in their hand as I would on the offensive line. Because I thought, actually, Juice Scruggs had a good good game today. He was able to move guys off the ball. He was quick in space. Uh, Eric Wilson did a decent job. And and other than a couple of complete gaffes in pass protection, Rasheed Walker did what he normally does on the ground game, which is he typically has one or two highlight blocks where he drives a guy five yards off the ball. So there, there are elements of the ground game that are working. There are elements that are working, but as a whole, yes, it is not. It's those things that need to get cleaned up. If you want to ask a question and you want to be annoying like Nate, uh, senior editor, which is your favorite expert analyst predicted a tough day on the ground for the Nittany Lions? Uh, which expert analyst did you text to ask that question to, Nate? I would ask you that. So if you want to ask your questions uh, about Penn State football, throw them in in our chat. We'll talk about here on the BWI Live postgame show um, to, to go over what happened, Penn State versus Villanova. Obviously, when you have a game like this and something is obviously not working, as Nate predicted in his article this week, he did say that is going to be a problem for the Nittany Lions this week. But if they can throw the ball effective, effectively and efficiently, and they have then that's the game plan. And by the way, that was a great, and I'm going to go back to what we started with when we talked about at the start of the show. That was a great day for Sean Clifford. I don't care that it's Villanova. One of the things that has been inconsistent so far this season for Penn State football has been his ability to hit players 20 yards downfield with the ball. The first throw of the game, Jahan Dotson is in single coverage on a post route. He gets two steps on the guy and in stride. It's not like the busted coverage. This is not a busted coverage versus Wisconsin, and he's 20 yards open, and all he has to do is throw it to an area of the field, and and Dotson will grab it. This was in stride, a perfectly thrown ball down the middle of the field for a touchdown. That's Mike Yersich recognizing what they're doing, uh, Sean Clifford recognizing post-snap the safety was in off-man coverage and that the middle of the field was open, and that's Jahan Dotson just doing what he always does, which is winning his route. So th- that, is, that, is, that, is, that is the best sign you could hope for if you're a Penn State football fan because this team is going to live and die with the big play. 
They're going to be in games because of the ability to scheme up big throws and Sean Clifford to hit them and then the receivers to catch them. We saw that come to full effect today. Sean Clifford's decision-making on scrambling plays, his decision-making in the pocket for the most part, was all on point for the second game in a row. This is the start of a change over for Clifford to play this way. This is the Sean Clifford that I think everyone was expecting when we saw him very early on in his career. This is the guy that can deal downfield from a clean pocket, who is accurate, and 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 all of the footwork issues that have come up over the last two seasons, going 2019 and 2020, were not always there. They were not always there. So they have been cleaned up. Now, there are still a couple throws here and there that, that he misses, but every quarterback misses sometimes that's the that's the thing is that every quarterback can miss some throws but when you're used to your your quarterback that you watch when you're used to him missing most of the throws then every miss becomes a highlight to you because you're like that see there it is but the reality is he's he genuinely accuracy wise has missed three throws that I know that I've noted over the last two games and he's thrown the ball 50 times that's, that's phenomenal. That is great. And in this game, and yes, it is an FCS opponent, but the big plays in the passing game, the big throws were there. That, um, that was a huge thing. That is, to me, the biggest takeaway from this game. Uh, is Sean Clifford, I, th- I think, at this point, should be the Big Ten Player of the Week because it is a stat-based thing. And maybe you could say that uh, because he threw the interception... And I haven't seen any of the other stuff that's been going on around the Big Ten today. I was locked in on the Penn State game, so I don't know who else has had a a good day so far. But I know that Sean Clifford had a phenomenal day. As close to perfect as you could get from a quarterback against an FCS opponent. So Maverick asks, and by the way, if you want to throw in a super chat, uh, feel free to do that. So I'll answer your questions. Uh, The second team defense didn't look great. The lack of depth, the concern down the road, possibly. Now, I will say this, the second teamers and, and some of the guys that are depth players along the, the defense got into the game early and often. And Nate, speaking of people who predicted things, this is one of the things I asked James Franklin on Wednesday. When we've watched Penn State over the years play, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they play a lot of players. It is a it is an organizational decision. It is that one of the tenets of what James Franklin wants to be at Penn State. They want to play a lot of guys. They want to get guys experienced so that you have starters, but you're not having a guy that has 14 snaps in his career take over at some point. So Kalen King got plays early in this game. Um, you saw Keziah Izzard has gotten snaps early in this season in actual game time situations in the first half. Uh, so they they have been uh, playing. They played when the, some of the second string players played in the first half when Penn State was dealing. Because uh, Izzard comes to mind. Keaton Ellis saw the field again. Played very well in man coverage from the safety position. So now having another player back on the field for whatever injury or whatever reason he was out, he's now back and he looked good. He looked good and confident. In that position. So that is a big thing for Penn State as well, that he got significant playing time during actual live reps, not just in the end of the game when it's 38 to 10, but when uh, when the winning and the losing is still in the air, even if you feel confident that Penn State is going to win. So that's all good. Uh, there were guys getting reps. You saw more Smith Vilbert this week. We saw more of Johnny Dixon this week. Uh, and, and some of those guys made some good plays with the first team defense. Obviously, 
the narrative on the defensive side of the ball is just bigger, faster, stronger. That's really where Penn State's, uh, their, their FBS recruiting really took over. And you can see that in some of the stats. I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly, some of these things. Penn State had eight tackles for a loss in this game. They didn't respect the Villanova defense from the very beginning of the game. The decisions and the style of play that Penn State was playing told me from the very beginning, we don't respect this team. Uh, we don't respect their speed. And not that they don't respect the players. That like They just don't respect what that offense can do to them. They're not interested in covering deep the same way they would be against even uh, Ball State, you know, or or coming up when they play Indiana. They're, they're going to play a little bit differently. Penn State was at no point where they backpedaling. They were in zone coverage. Their feet were planted. They were on their toes. Their corners were ready to trigger downhill, and you saw that from Joey Porter Jr. You saw that from the multiple uh, pick six opportunities they had in this game. Penn State had four pass breakups, and I think three of them were opportunities for interceptions, and they did have one interception called back uh, for a, a roughing the passer penalty. So the defense, as much as they gave up, you know, they gave up one field goal during the game, uh, that was a dominant performance. That was a, another dominant performance from the Penn State defense, and it wasn't just all of the starters playing today. Uh, no player, according to the official book, has more than four total tackles. So that means everyone is getting involved, and everyone was was a part of the defense. It wasn't just Tariq Castro-Fields out there playing every snap of the game like he has so far this season. Uh, and the Penn State defense, the, the defensive line especially, P.J. Mustafer was was a problem for the, uh, for the Villanova offense. And that was a matchup coming into this game that if you watched the film, it was going to be a problem for Villanova. They have a good FCS line, but when you're going up against Arnold Ebikidi and you're going against P.J. Mustafer, uh, those guys became almost unblockable at times for the Penn State, uh, for the Penn State uh, defense and for the Villanova offensive line. So that that really, uh, that's kind of the story there. There there isn't as much. There's not as much to talk about with the Penn State defense because they did exactly what you expected them to do. They were dominant throughout this game. Um, I will say some guys late in the game, yeah, they weren't so great. So a couple of guys that stood out to me. I mentioned Kalen King got into the game early, and he was a guy that was playing when there was meaningful snaps. He was playing that way at the end of the game, aggressive, downhill, except that the defensive line wasn't getting the same pressure. So he bit on a double move, and that's where the touchdown came from. He's in off coverage, and uh, he bites on the double move. It's a, it's a young player mistake. He's being aggressive. You want that from him, but you also want to be able to read body language and know that he's, he's getting a double move there. But, you know, it's a learning experience for him. And again, it happened against Villanova. <laughs> it didn't happen uh, against uh, Iowa two weeks from now in the third quarter at about 6 o'clock. So, you know, you're getting that out of your system now. A couple guys that I that stood out to me again, I thought Keziah Izzard, he's a, a very talented football player. I've really liked his film since I evaluated him coming out of high school. He's a big-bodied guy that used to play on the end in high school. He's So he's got defensive end-like skills moving into that three-technique defensive tackle. He has seen snaps. He's one of the few guys that are depth pieces that have gotten snaps 
early in, in meaningful games. So he's working his way into a bigger role for the Penn State, uh, for the Penn State team, especially in that defensive tackle position where somebody's got to step up. Fred Hansard has as is not playing as much for this this team. That's that's not only obvious, but it is now he is he is not a part of the two deep. I, I think it's fair to say at this point that Izzard has beaten him out for those snaps. Now, it's going to be mostly Mustafer and Tangelo, but we haven't seen anything from the other guys. And, and obviously, Hakeem Beeman hasn't played so far, really, this season. So we don't, don't know what the situation is with him. He hasn't made a, a huge contribution to the team. But in that absence, I think Izzard has played well. And he's a big-bodied guy. You can see just watching him on film. He's strong. He's got uh, everything from a, from the physical side you're looking for. And he seems to be playing pretty well. Now, again, he wasn't dominant in this game, but he did make some big plays. The horse collar obviously brought back the sack he had. So that's a good positive sign that Penn State is, is hopefully for them, and hopefully for you, finding some depth at the defensive tackle position to get into the rotation because the, the starters there are logging a lot of minutes. Um... Tyler Elsden now, in his second game coming in in the fourth quarter, has not been playing well. And this is one of the things that we that that was on his game tape early in his career is he's gonna be a he's gonna be a fire hydrant against the run eventually. But is he gonna bite on play fakes? Is he gonna be one of those guys that you can't rely on in coverage? And he's he's bitten on some things. He's been late with his eyes. He's been late to the ball, and then he's missed tackles because of it. So he's struggling right now. He stood out kind of in a negative way. But all the young guys, Jalen Reed, um, Kobe King, all got into the game. I thought they all looked pretty good. Um, got a couple more questions coming in. We still can't run the ball in third and short. Uh, we need to figure that out. I, again, Zach, I I don't think that's going to change all that much, Zach. That's why you have three running backs lined up in the backfield and two of them, one of them, Brent Strange, and the other one, Kevon Lee, are lead blockers, and you're running basically a, a triple option sweep on fourth down uh, to get the, the first down. That is why that's happening, because this team up the middle especially, and this is an interesting thing to me, is they have faced four teams that that primarily run an odd front, meaning three defensive linemen, your traditional 3-4 sort of alignment. So you've had a guy lined up nose-to-nose with your center, with Mike Miranda, the entire season so far. Now that is going to change once they get into the Big Ten proper, but are teams going to do that to them because that's been shown as a weakness now, that they can't move guys off the ball. And teams don't have to respect the offensive line's ability to physically dominate and then technically get to where they need to be. That is a question to me going forward is when they see more four down fronts, will there be more gaps in in the in the rushing attack? Because another thing that is happening that I find really interesting, and this is something I'm going to di- dive into when it comes to kind of defensive tactics, is uh, the, the defensive ends aren't playing nose up or outside on the, the tackles. So you've got basically three guys on the interior of the offensive line from the tackles inward. You've got the nose guard lined up as a zero technique or, you know, directly over the center. And then you've got two guys kind of shading the inside of the offensive tackles. Now, for the running game, that changes some things in zone blocking. That causes some problems where before you're used to, I've got to get this guy and help you get him, and then I've got to go over here, and it's all based on alignment, not necessarily that's my guy, I'm going to go get him. So is that causing some problems? And if Penn State sees that less, is that going to alleviate some of those issues? Because they practice against 
the Penn State defense, which is traditionally a four-down front, even though sometimes they do, they have more been going to some of those odd fronts or some two defensive tackle, some of the more modern concepts along the defensive line. I find that very interested. Uh, so Ryan's got another super chat question. As always, Ryan, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, he says, coming in the season, did you see the defend the defense as one of the biggest strengths of the team? Yes. The secondary especially has been playing exactly how you were expecting it. I got a question earlier this week uh, about Tariq Castro-Fields. And I, and this is, I have pointed out that he has been, of the secondary so far, he has been the guy that has been struggling the most. And someone asked, is Kalen King going to take his job at the end of the season? And I think today proved you're going to have the veteran out there. That's not the case. He played very well. Uh, the, the tipped pass, the intentionally batted in the air pass that Jair Brown came down with as an interception was exceptional play. That is, that is awareness. That's a veteranship. That's not trying to get my stats. That's playing team defense. And that's a huge thing for the defense that they're coming up with more interceptions. They're more disruptive with the football. Again, Four pass breakups today. That's huge. That is something that they have not gotten in the past. So that is something that has been a major revelation for Penn State. And I do think that it is something that can carry them in big games. This is now through four games of the season versus Villanova today. But two top 25 teams and the former MAC champion Ball State, who I think is okay as a team, truthfully. I think they're okay. They've dominated. That has been the dominant unit on the field every single week, and it has not been even close. So Penn State and that secondary, as long as they can consistently get a pass rush from Arnold Ebikidi and some of the other guys that are coming in on blitzes, and that's going to be the biggest thing to me about this defense is there are times, and this is a Brent Pry special, that they either blitz from depth, meaning more than four yards from the line of scrimmage, or they have these delayed blitzes where you're trying to sneak a guy free. You're trying to fool the def the offensive line in the blocking scheme. So you have a stunt that comes in, and then you have a guy that comes in late. And if the secondary doesn't hold up, basically what you've done is you've just given them a free hole in the zone. So your secondary has to play at a high level for that to work. And in the past, we've seen it where Penn State blitzes, and, and they just basically burn two defenders Meanwhile, the quarterback has a throw in under 2.5 seconds that goes out, it's caught, and it's a, it's a catch-and-run situation. That has not been happening this year. Penn State has been much more effective and timely with their blitzes. That has to continue because this team is going to have to manufacture pass rush outside of Arnold Ebikidi. That has, if there's one thing that's clear, that's been clear. That they don't really have, none of these young guys have yet stepped up on the edge. There hasn't been the next guy as a pass rusher. And when you don't have Adisa Isaac now, that's that's really the, the question. Um, but the secondary, playing at an elite level, being as locked down as they have been, gives that pass rush, gives that blitz a chance to work. So that goes back to the secondary of if you lead with an elite unit in the secondary, you give your pass rush time to get there. It's that symbiotic relationship of sometimes the pass rush makes it easy on the secondary, and then sometimes the secondary allows the pass rush to get home. Um, this is this is a, this is a great question. Why does Clifford have to be in the game at wideout when the direct snap goes to number forty-four? So that is, so this is the traditional wildcat package. This is a, this is something that the you know I, I don't remember exactly where it started. I think it started at Kentucky with the Wildcats, but uh, made famous by Ronnie Brown with the the Dolphins in the NFL, and has since spread like a disease 
to every part of football. What it is, is you, this, this is, if you, if you follow football, you know what it is. You're, you're putting an athlete at quarterback to change the mathematics in the box, especially down low against the run, where now the quarterback is not a useless piece of the run game. So in every offensive set, that is a traditional running set. It's 10 on 11 football. And usually the free safety is not involved in the play. He is covering deep in case there's a fake. But sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's right up in the box and, and you you have an unfair advantage for the defense mathematically. It's, it, again, it's, it's 10 on 11. When you put an athlete at quarterback, and this explains a lot. This is, this is included in the quarterback power, the read option game. It's about putting the defense at a, at a schematic disadvantage where they have to cover all of the gaps. And sometimes they can't. It puts them at 100% capacity. Now, Clifford, out wide, I know what you're saying, but it's just... Maybe he goes for a pass, and he still is the quarterback, so there still is a threat of him being on the field. And you do have to account for the fact that the primary quarterback is on the field. Now, Tyler Warren, you know, used to play quarterback. Everyone and their mom knows that Tyler Warren used to play quarterback. After he scored the first touchdown, everybody knew, hey, this kid was a quarterback. At some point, he's going to throw. So they have that threat at that position with Tyler Warren already. I agree. Maybe maybe they come out with without Sean Clifford on the field. But that's just how the Wildcat is run. That's just, to answer your question, that's just how it's always been done since 2007. Maybe. Eight. Maybe. You know, for the last 10 years, 15 years. Um, I do love the idea, though, of what they've done in that situation. One of my least favorite things is for the last two seasons before this, especially last year, they would run quarterback power with Sean Clifford. Now, the schematic, schematically, that, that just means traditional power blocking where you're either bringing one player, or if it's a counter, two players to the point of attack. It's old school football. It's everything you already know. Down in the goal line, again, you have the 11th defender right in the box. There's, there's, no, there's no defending deep. You're going to be at full advantage. You're asking Sean Clifford to break a tackle, not in space. You are asking Sean Clifford to break a tackle of a linebacker or a defensive lineman at the goal line. And he's a good athlete. I think you've seen some of the decisions he makes with the ball in his hands today. In the running game, when he had those quarterback keepers, which is another part of the struggles of the run game today, was he was trying to cut it out wide. He's trying to get in space. He's trying to get upfield because he's fast linearly. But he is not an inspired runner. He's also not a guy that's going to lower his shoulder a la Will Levis or Tommy Stevens and get a touchdown. Like, that's just not in his DNA. So putting Tyler Warren in there, that is in his DNA. That's absolutely something he does. So it actually reinvigorates that threat of a rushing attack, and it's not your quarterback. It's not the dude that you need to be healthy for 14 games this season. So I actually love that wrinkle. I think that has been... Um, it, I think that has been a great idea for them to to do that with Tyler Warren. It is, because he still has the small threat of throwing the football. He's not foreign to it. Now, he was recruited to play tight end, so it's not like you still have Sean Clifford back there. You don't even have Tommy Stevens back there, you know, as far as a, a throwing threat, or Will Levis. So he is a tight end, but there is still a small threat. And maybe he's like Tim Tebow level, because, I mean, Tim Tebow was a tight end, so... Uh, yeah, maybe that's 
that's a, that's a good comparison. Um, <laughs> I if you have any other questions about something that happened in the game, something you want to talk about here on the BWI post game show, you can throw them in the chat. Going through a couple of them here. Um, we've uh, we've talked quite a bit now about the the wildcat package, some of the three uh, three tight end uh, uh, running plays, some of the wildcat stuff. One thing that I again I want to circle back to this uh, with the offensive line and the run game today. It is it is going to be in fits and starts. This is not. There's just no way about it. This is going to be a a running attack that is not at full steam. But the tight ends so far have been kind of what you've seen from Penn State over the years, with the exception of Pat Fryermuth, is that they are not blocking well. Um, they they're you're going to see if you follow PFF, they're not going to have good run blocking metrics. They they were pretty poor today. Um, the interior of the offensive line and the tackles. One thing that I think is still a problem that we saw when there was pressure. Um, Villanova decided they were gonna they were gonna throw three linemen at at Penn State, and when they did, that's when Sean Clifford had some big plays. Um, but the pass blocking still struggles with blitzes and with stunts. So that's another thing you got to watch going forward. Is this is not necessarily even what we saw against Auburn. This offensive line took a step backwards, I think, based on you know their performance in those areas uh, today versus Villanova, and that's kind of a concerning thing. Is to me, that's the red flag of this offense and the passing game coming out of this game is as good as Clifford has been this season at avoiding pressure, avoiding the big mistake, keeping his eyes downfield, not panicking. He has been doing all of that, even going back to the Wisconsin game, brilliantly. And today the deep ball clicked, and that's why he had 401 passing yards. But there was one play, and I'm going to get into this uh, on my film review for Blue White Illustrated later this week. You can check that out coming up on Monday, and you'll get the in detail, you'll visually see it, but... On one play, a guy that I thought was going to be a possible all-Big Ten offensive lineman, uh, Rashid Walker, it is slide protection. So you are sliding one way, left or right, based on what the quarterback tells you. He slid the wrong way. Like, you watch it on film. He ran into Eric Wilson. They're blocking the same guy. He, he stepped the wrong way. And for that guy heading into a year where he's expecting to then be going to the NFL next year. Like, that's the progression that he's on. That's what he's expecting. That's what everyone's expecting. Mental mistakes happen. Mistakes do happen. But he's been having a lot of these this year. That can't happen. And that's where that sack came from. It was just a free rusher off the edge. And when you throw on top of that, Caden Wall still struggled today in pass blocking. He still struggled protecting the edge. And this is something that, that I talked about heading into the season. He is a former guard recruit that they're playing at tackle. And yes, technically, like he can, like it's not the worst thing in the world. He is athletic enough to play tackle. Athletic enough. Like he, like that much. So he struggled against pass blocking. He can be, you know, he's so insistent, like he's very aware that he has to get to the edge, that he leaves these big doors on the inside for, for counter moves to the inside. He doesn't step back down on those plays to, to seal off the inside. There's, again, communication issues on stunts once again today. And unlike Auburn, Villanova went, you know what? That thing that they haven't been able to stop all year, let's try that. 
So they were able to get pressure on Sean Clifford. I'll, I'll pull that up to to give the exact numbers. But um, yeah, as far as pressures go in the first half, I know for, for a fact I counted three pressures from Caden Wallace. Now, again, Clifford made up for them. That's the difference is Clifford made up for them. But they were able to get three sacks on the day. Um, that's That's not good. That's not against Villanova. That's not good. Now, part of that is Sean Clifford, like I said, was holding on to the ball at the end of the half. But some of it wasn't, you know, I'd say half and half. That's that's a bit of an issue for Penn State football if that's going to continue to happen for um, for for that team to play the style that they do. That's the biggest problem is if they're going to play that style, they've got to get better blocking up front to make sure that they can throw the ball down the field or else you're going to have problems when it comes to getting those big plays and having a lot of sacks and negative yards. Uh, we are going to wrap up here in just a little bit, probably about five minutes or so. So if you've got any more questions about the game, anything else you want to complain about, we can rehash the running game for the third time in the show. I'd prefer not to, but uh, we can definitely do that. So uh, we're going to wrap up here in just a little bit. Some other things that come to mind about this game. Um, John, Lo- John Lovett. I think is going to be the answer going forward for this team, especially because the outside zone creates negative plays at times because it's easy to uh, for the gaps either way to get out of whack and for somebody to make a play either way. But his ability to cut back and to burst and to get yards in in big ways, to get big chunks of yards, you saw it. His ability to plant his foot in the ground and and lower his shoulder to enough, lower his shoulder enough to get to... Uh, you know, five, six, eight yards, and then he can rip off some big runs. He's going to be, regardless of what happens with Noah Kane, whether he's injured or not, that is going to be something I absolutely expect him to see more going into uh, the Big Ten proper, the Big Ten schedule proper. He's going to get more and more carries. He's experienced in this blocking scheme. That's a big thing. Um, the, uh, Okay, we're having another. Sorry, I was reading a conversation. We're still we're still talking about the Wildcat in the chat, so we've covered that part. Um, this is this is a good team, so that's I think the thing. Even coming out of this game, there's probably a bad taste in some Penn State fans' mouths because of the rushing attack today. But when when John Lovett comes into the second half and he's getting the majority of the snaps, this is this is the the split between the halves. Penn State ran the ball 17 times for 3.6 yards a carry. Uh, when they were driving to end the third quarter and they got the touchdown with the Wildcat, which we're talking about in the chat still, uh, they were averaging 4.5 yards a carry. So in the second half when John Lovett got in the game and they're running the, the zone rushing schemes, they were moving the ball on the ground. They were The offensive line was moving players off the ball. He was making good decisions. The tight end started blocking properly, and they were able to get good plays in the ground game. Now it ends because of the goal line situation where you're running for two yards, then you're running for two yards and a touchdown. That lowers the average. But 62 yards in the second half, um, some big runs in there. I think that's enough. When it comes to the rushing attack, what you're looking for with this team is just get enough. Just get enough and you'll be good. Uh, we got one last question we'll get to here. Uh, not necessarily this game related, but does Wisconsin's bad loss to Notre Dame today diminish Penn State's week one win? No, I don't think so. I, I see. I don't like, I don't like doing that. And it's the problem of the preseason rankings to begin with, because everything in the preseason was built on the idea that Graham Mertz was good and Penn State's Sean Clifford wasn't. 
based on one game versus Illinois and a bad situation at Penn State last year. So if you're going to do that preseason, you've got to hold that for the rest of the year. And it wasn't like that was a romp either way because the Wisconsin defense was legitimate. Um, Notre Dame, it was like, what, 10-3 at the half? I was watching the score on that one because I kind of had this in mind. I, you know, I, it was a good win for that Penn State team because as a whole, that Wisconsin defense is good. And as a whole, the offense is good enough for Wisconsin. But I, I don't want to I don't want to go back and be revisionist about the situation or or what we think about a team because of that. Now, were was Wisconsin a top 15 team? Maybe they weren't a top 15 team, but they were a good team to start the season, a way better team than you normally have when you play week one. Are we going to say that Auburn was the 22nd ranked team in the nation? We don't know where they're going to end up yet. There's good pieces on their team. If they can get some things along the skill positions worked out and some guys step up more consistently, that could be a good team. Uh, Penn State obviously has their flaws. That's, that's obvious. But their flaws have been less than the other flawed teams they've played. That's that's just the the kind of the end of that situation to me is that Penn State, they've made their mistakes. They're not a perfect team. They're not going to roll through every game, but they have found different ways to win. They're a good football team, and they have a quarterback now that is playing at a level to win those games where previously, previously they did not. And I don't mean just in 2020. I know that that's been a big narrative. I'm talking about just in the past. They now have a quarterback that is playing with a, a certain level of clutchness, and he's, he's done it two weeks in a row. If he does it three weeks in a, a row against a very good defense, and again, just looking ahead, Micah McFadden, remember that name, I think he's number 47 for the, uh, for the, for the Indiana defense, the linebacker, he's, he's, he's a tank. He is an aggressive, angry linebacker, the kind of guy that can shut down a running game, not single-handedly, but pretty close. So that's going to be an early scouting report, just a little nugget. Trayvon Mullen, another guy on the outside for Wisconsin or for uh, Indiana that's good. So it's going to be a good matchup, a good test to see if all of this stuff from Sean Clifford and the Penn State passing attack is for real. That is a night game next week, so we will be on post-game probably around 12.30, depending on how the game plays out. I hope it doesn't go into overtime again. Just because that'll be like one in the morning we're doing this. And if you want to be here for that, I will be here for that. No matter when it is, BWI Live is going here on YouTube. 15 minutes after every game for about 45 minutes to an hour. Tom Hannafin will be back again with me then after that game. And coming up before then, Monday, we'll have our Monday recap show, Penn State Villanova. That is at noon on Monday, so make sure you tune in there and ask your questions as we digest the tape. We talk about it, we get the reactions from everybody, and we get into the week proper. That's BWI Live Monday. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll be back then.